Welcome everybody back to Vale of Sound, back to our daily interview marathon here uh, during our Christmas uh, time. I hope that you've already enjoyed the first ones you've seen, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. Um, we had already the pleasure of, talk, of talking to Steve until a few months ago when we were talking about uh, the upcoming tour that he did back then in July. Everybody who has seen that must say that it was once again awesome and really, really cool. And uh, this time we thought, okay, let's talk a little bit about Neurot recordings, which he is running uh, basically nowadays. So, um, first of all, Steve, thanks for joining the show. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're you're welcome. And we just mentioned it in our little talk before we started this recording. Uh, Steve and I are basically at the other ends of the same night. My night has just ended. His started. Uh, so it's very, very, it's a very, very interesting situation. Um. Of course, the development of neurot recording is closely recorded to neurosis, but we are not going to talk about neurosis. Uh, Steve uh, sat down for us a little bit in advance and thought about 10 records that for him define the sound of neurot records, um, which is a very, very interesting thing because he could have chosen lots of records by lots of famous bands. Uh, not to say that the bands that he chose are unknown. They are pretty known. But for example, he did not choose Isis. He didn't choose Oxbow, Made Out of Babies, Battle of Mice. Um, you could name a lot more. Current 93, which has been released through Neurot, if I remember correctly. So he chose 10 records. Um, and we'll also get to the question, why not 10 other ones? But before we do that... Let's start one, with that one. Before before we do that, um, how democratic is the label nowadays? Is it your label, or is it a label that you run with other members of Neurosis? How is it now? So the the way it's always been is it's always been run out of my house. It's always been run out of my home with different people assisting me. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Neurosis uh, being the founders of the label, we um, we agree artistically on what should be released. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the time, I mean, it comes down to um, you know, guys will bring me ideas or, um, they also just trust my decisions that I, I will represent the, uh, the brotherhood well. Mm -hmm. When did you guys ever have a feeling that this is more than a vehicle for V-neurosis? releases re-releases and everything related to Rose. pretty early on i mean initially it was formed with the idea of eventually having our own home for our mm -hmm. own stuff it began with uh primarily um 
um, getting the rights back to Souls at Zero and Enemy of the and Enemy of the Sun. Um, at a similar time to when Times of Grace was coming out, I don't exactly mm-hmm. remember the uh, exact chronology, but um, we had uh, also wanted the idea for a place for Tribes of Nurat, and we had the mm-hmm. the Grace companion disc uh, coming out. Um, to go along with Times of Grace, we had uh, some Tribes of Nurat material that we wanted to release. And so we thought, okay, this is a great place to start with these these few items. And then we branched it out um, a little bit with more side projects with my first solo record. And yeah. then almost immediately realized that we needed to, uh, in the same manner that we were given assistance when we were coming up by labels, you know, that... Um, people helped us get our music out there. We thought that we would do the same thing for our community mm-hmm. and uh, give, give something back and, and find artists that we felt an affinity for that we felt uh, a kinship with um, not trying to find a sound, but trying to find a spirit, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, which um, leads me to answering that, question you asked that I said let's do that first why these 10 and why not some other 10 and that's because you can't define the sound of neurot recordings mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. diverse it's really all mm-hmm. over the place and we never <clears throat> we never wanted our band to feel pigeonholed into any category or genre I mean we we grew up with record labels like discord and SST and alternative tentacles um which you knew it would be interesting, but you had no idea what it was going to sound like, you know, and that's, um, you know, it's part of us coming up in mid eighties, DIY punk rock and being inspired by uh, everything we were around. And we, we wanted to be able to put out anything from beautiful ambient music to instrumental music, to noise, to, heavy rock music of, of all flavors, you know, yeah. whatever moves us, it, it just has mm. to move us. Yeah. Which is, which is also very interesting when one looks at the choices that you have, you know, if anybody tries to pitch and hold a few of these records, I think it's very, very hard because many of the bands that you've chosen and also many of the records that you've chosen are in a way highly eclectic, which I personally love to bits. You know, I just love that when when a record is more than just genre A, B, or C, or maybe A and B. But a lot of the records that you've given us here on this list are actually very, very diverse. So I also looked it up for first non-neurosis-related releases. My goodness, how many R's? Um, were this Hungarian band Vaktazo Halotkemek mm-hmm. translated into English as Galloping Coroners, which again I find is a wonderful band name. Then it was Isis, Tarantel, Vitriol, and Zenigeva. We will talk about two of these um a little bit more in detail. Um but it's interesting that you've just basically given the answer to my next question. I was thinking about a red fret going through all of these 10 records and 
it basically already says, you know, it's more, is it more like a kindred spirit that you need to feel with these bands? Yeah, I'm primarily the music has to uh, has to move us and and um but also there has to be some sort of if we're not already friends that you know that we feel that we come from the same place or that we want to honor something mm-hmm. you know that we want to celebrate mm-hmm. uh something you know um many of the people we've released are our peers and people we know people we've met on the road um <clears throat> And others uh, like Vagtazo Halotkemic are more like um, legendary heroes in their own country and completely unknown in the United States, you know, and and just really inspiring to me personally. Um, And so there's a million reasons why, you know, a a few times, a, a few times we've been, we've, played some demos that have come in we don't like taking demos especially now in the digital age there's just too much shit out there and i don't we don't have time to listen to it you know so stuff has to happen organically um um but um but there were a couple that were just kind of like randomly grabbing something that looked interesting out of the demo pile and throwing it on so you know, let's maybe do it a little bit in the following way. Uh, I'll give the details of a record. You maybe say a sentence or two um, on each record, what it means to you, what it also means to to Neurot Recordings. And then to basically all of them, I found a very, very interesting aspect that one can connect to this particular record. Um, and the first one on your list was... Uh, not the first non-neurosis um, non-neurosis band, but it was the second one. It was not Vaktazo uh, Halot Kemek. We'll also talk about that one in a moment. But it was Zinigeva and uh, their 10,000 light years, which was released on May 15th, 2001. And before now, anybody says, but it was released on a different date in my country. Maybe, but this is the American release date, and I looked them all up. Uh, so May 15th, 2001. Zinigeva is one of those mysterious, not what means mysterious, but enigmatic master bands of old that is revered by all those people who heard them or who found them. Uh, what does the record mean to you and to Neurot Recordings? That is one, uh, Zenegeva holds a very special uh, place in our heart. When we were first kind of morphing from our early kind of punk rock version of ourselves into our um, more multi-dimensional um, with keyboards and samples version of ourselves. And we were starting to, to try to branch out and find different places to play and different bands to play with. You know, we had met some people uh, in San Francisco who uh, uh, Mason Jones and Eldon M and they were, uh, old school San Francisco heads who were into really obscure and interesting music. And uh, Mason was an expert in Japanese music. Um, and uh, 
he was booking a show uh, with Zenigeva and a band from Texas called the Pain Teens, um, who also became uh, dear friends and uh, were incredibly inspirational. And so really seeing Zenigeva uh, um, just kind of blew our minds in the fact that they were they had some similar influences that we did. You could tell that there was some swans mm -hmm. in there um, and that they were into heavy sounding guitars, but not heavy metal. You know, there weren't any metal tropes. It was heavy guitars, but, uh, but it also wasn't Midwestern noise rock either. It was something different, something unique, something that only could have come from these guys in Japan. Um, you know, that had a heritage of experimental and noise music mixed with their rock. And it was, mm -hmm. uh, so it was really, um, they were simultaneously friends and heroes, you know, mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. they, to me, represented um, the epitome of underground heavy music that, you know, mm -hmm. putting out incredible stuff, whether people know about it or not. And, um, mm -hmm. And uh, not only that, but I felt like 10,000 Light Years itself was kind of the most evolved version of themselves yeah. that they had. They clearly had evolved and progressed and, and brought a lot of different elements and a lot more fluidity and psychedelia into their sound for that one. Um, e even some progressive moments, you know, and, and uh, dare I say, jazz-influenced um, yep. moments, you know, and it... Uh, So yeah, I mean it's really it's really special to me when I think of it. I, I I think of friendship. I think of originality and unique music, and I think of deep, mm -hmm. uh, deep roots. When we progress, I brought those records into a chronological order. So it's interesting that the the first one in that order was the second one on your list, and you gave up. Um, but then I looked it up and I saw that uh, I know I'm going to miss it again, but Vaktazo Halot Kemek that uh, theirs came out only eight days after Zani gave us um, Dancing with the Sun um, if anybody is not familiar with it um, it's a record that very very well blends elements of world music or of traditional Hungarian music with, with folk with a few, well, ideologically probably punkish aspects. Um, I somewhere found a tag which I think is hilariously bad. Shaman punk. Um, that does make sense, though. That it does, does make, make sense. sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's a horribly overused word. Uh, shaman and shaman mm -hmm. as it, as traditionally it really only applies to the Siberian tribe in which it comes from. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we all know what it means. And yeah. um, Attila, the singer of uh, VHK, that'll save us from having to say it all the time. Um, he is a world-renowned astrophysicist, but he also comes from a tradition of really understanding and being obsessed with the ancient primal uh, shamanic traditions, mm -hmm. again, for lack of the right word, 
of of the Hungarian people. And so to me, uh, calling it shaman punk or whatever, I mean, we could say it's world music like you did. And, and there are some traditional Hungarian music elements in there, but it's so much more primal yeah. than that. It's like, it's like reimagining what music may have existed before the modern folk, before the, you know, folk music we know, you know, yeah. and, um, and what may have been happening in the ceremonies in the ancient times, but it's also looking to the stars and looking for the the origin of us all. So it's the origin of of his people and his traditions and in his land and a connection to his land and a looking into the stars for the connection and the origin of all of us in the cosmos. And, um, and they were definitely punk rock in the sense that they were together since the seventies and they were banned by the communist government um, uh, at the time for being subversive. Hmm. Um, and um, yeah, all, all of those things combined just kind of form this gravitas yeah. and, um, and weight and, and depth that uh, again made like their superheroes, you know, um and um legends in their country and so it was an honor to be able to try to introduce their music to our audience that's also an aspect that we'll come to in a moment you've already also used that term folk folklore very many people automatically associated with folk music and you at New Rut Recordings do have an ear for that kind of music, um, which of course also shows in the, for example, the cover version collection of the Songs of Towns Van Zandt. Um, is that something that also very easily or quickly can strike a chord in you, a certain kind of scarcity in sound or brittleness or something like that is that something that rings a bell it depends i mean um i wouldn't say i like folk music any more than i like any type of music I, mm -hmm. in fact i dislike most music i i think i'm looking for the 0.01 of any genre any mm -hmm. style of music that i think is pushing the boundaries mm -hmm speaking from a unique place uh and 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 again it moves me you know like there's no saying what might move you you know like what what moves me i i wouldn't expect it would move somebody else because certainly what i see moves other people doesn't move me but uh but um i i mean i think that there can be intense power in a full heavy rock band there can be intense power in a decaying tape loop there can be intense power of, of a person with uh, a failing voice and an mm -hmm. out-of-tune guitar, but they mean it, mm -hmm. and you believe what they say. Yeah, yeah, authenticity, right? Another overused word these days, but yeah, I mean, I think that really is is, inc is incredible. I that, that that's what we all, I think, those of us that are real music heads, that's what we want out of music. We don't want a. Uh, well, some people do, and there's nothing wrong with it. Some people want a show. Some people want a character. Some people want to, 
play dress up, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, wear costumes and such things and, and perform. And other people just want to express themselves in the most honest manner that they can, or they, that's all they know how to do. Before anybody asks, because I know I've forgotten, um, VHK's record is called Dancing with the Sun, and it was released on May 23rd, 2003, something like that. No. Uh, I'm not sure if it was 2002 or 2001. It had to have been right there in the first yeah, must be 2001. series of releases. Yeah. And as you've mentioned it, you know, the next pick that you took could maybe not be further away music-wise or sound-wise, because chronologically, the next one is Gradle's Burden of Hope, released October 7th, 2003. Is that maybe one of the most enigmatic bands on Nurek? Because they totally maybe even more than many, many, many other bands on Nurek, evade any kind of genrefication? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the cliche is you never you never say any favorite words about any of your children, right? So um I would say they're extremely enigmatic. And in some ways, I think the records that they released after they moved on to other labels, like would have been an equal fit or more of a fit as well than the first one, because they got into more heavy guitars and whatnot. But that uh, Grails, it was just such a unique presence. And that was, that was one of the rare ones that was a demo. That was, we, we received a demo and it, I don't know if it was the packaging or what it was that uh, appeared interesting, but played it and was instantly really captivated. Um, yeah. You know, I, I um, just to kind of frame it, um, at the time there was a lot of instrumental music was becoming trendy, yeah. um, but it was mostly of a style of bands trying to imitate like a Mogwai or a Godspeed, uh, or a Godspeed, like you Black Emperor, uh, or even even though they were kind of newer to the game, even uh, Explosions in the Sky, you know, mm-hmm. made a big impact, and people were wanting to sound like some sort of version of these three bands, right? Yeah, uh, the extended, um, melodic uh, parts and. Grails was unlike all of that and really created their own sound, which um, if I'm trying to use other artists as, as signposts or as markers just for understanding, they kind of scratched the same itch that maybe low mm-hmm. would take if they were instrumental. Um, maybe the dirty three um, in, in their kind of, um, the way the percussion and the melodies would interrelate and also kind of Neil Young and crazy horse. Yep. Like, you know, like when, when a guitar comes out and it, and it's very fluid and loose, uh, but, but with distortion. And what I also found interesting about them is even though they're instrumental, I find them very lyrical. 
I yeah. find that that some instrument is always the voice. Definitely. You know, like like it's like that music still sings. Yeah. It's just either Definitely. the guitar or the violin or 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 something else that is, or that is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you do you like their latest one, the one that they put out a few months ago? Oh yeah, very much so. Very much. And, and I was actually able to catch up with my friend Alex who who started Grails uh yeah. when I played in Copenhagen. We yeah. went we went out street drinking uh after after my show as as you yeah. do in Copenhagen. And uh and it was great to catch up and uh and we also just actually reissued that on vinyl exactly. like the 20th, 20th anniversary edition. Yeah. yeah. It's a second uh, reissue already. It's the first one we've done on vinyl. They oh, did yeah, some okay. they did some self pressings, I mm -hmm. think, somewhere along the line for touring. Some yeah. were even combined with the second record, uh, Red Light, in the yeah. same package. But it's the first one that we have done. That is also something that I wanted to connect here. Um, you you do reissues for for various reasons, of course. Um, for example, you know, a record just isn't in stock and there is a general demand for such a record, of course, you know, uh, I mean, like you've also already mentioned it, uh, basically, one of the starting ideas was to get your own music to, to reissue it on your own terms. Uh, what does not happen too often is that you reissue stuff that has not originally been on New Rot. Sometimes you do that. And a perfect example would be Christ on Parade. Um, how, how, what must happen for you to reissue a record that is not originally either Neurosis or Neurot Recordings? I don't know if we have a rule, but that one is the most obvious reason for Christ on Parade is that's Noah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so that is the that is the connection that you know your band member says like oh, that would be cool. well. I mean, Christ on Parade and Neurosis when we were coming up, we were we were brother or sister bands. Mm, I mean, we were true. inseparable. They were they were a huge inspiration on Neurosis, mm. and um, and uh, both of those before I joined Neurosis uh, in '89, both of those bands were my favorite bands, my favorite local bands. So it's a wet dream come true. For sure. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and so, yeah, that was, I mean, you know, it's Noah's record label too. And the, his old record needed a home. Mm -hmm. And so of course it, it makes sense uh, just because of the inspiration on us as a band and, and him as a band member. And uh, yeah, that's, so that's more, you know, that's more how that happened. We don't often look for punk records from the eighties to reissue, you know. Also, some of them don't age that well. Um, it totally depends. Yeah, totally depends. Uh, before anybody asks, I think Noah's um, Noah's band Tension Span that you released last year could that be the last. At the moment, the last neurosis related release on Neurot Record. I think this year we did not have one, right? Uh yeah, you might be right. Yeah. yeah. 
And if anybody uh, wants to know a little bit more about Noah and Tension Span, uh, look look up um, here on this YouTube channel. You can look, look up our interview with Noah that we did last year uh, in this Christmas marathon. Uh, and if you want to know a little bit more about Grails, look up the interview that we did with Emil um, a few months ago. Wonderful, wonderful people to talk to, both of them, in a very, very different way, which I just remember. Um, the next record on your list is um, one of the multitude of side projects of Justin K. Broderick. Mm. It's final. Um, and it was it's final and it was record free, released on February 21st, 2006. Um, you've already mentioned it. There was no rule for you to pick a, a band apart from it has to touch you. But let's be honest, you know, at that time, Justin K. Broderick was already a big name. And I guess that Godflesh was also one of those bands that in a way inspired you, right? Yeah, God, I mean, um, I think we were coming up about the same time, but yeah. for sure. I mean, that Street Cleaner record changed changed the game for sure. So yeah, that was that was a huge a huge record for us. Um especially as we were starting to explore using different sounds, you know. Um and uh I mean we'd always loved the mechanical aspects of Big Black and and uh bands like that, but Godflesh kind of brought it brought it to our world you know and it was uh really unique and and justin's a great guy and um just his whole way of viewing music is very similar to ours that there, you know we'd already been doing our tribes of neurot stuff which was again there's not really a word for it it could be noise it could be ambient it could be experimental whatever it's just free-flowing sonic journeys right mm -hmm. and and whatever happens as long as it has some sort of emotional context and, and he was clearly doing that as well and i don't know if godflesh was um active when the final record was coming out because i know there was a time where a couple of times so. where, where it was i yeah, don't think so that was that was the beginning of jesus so but um that was a, yeah, that was a really, it was a no brainer, you know, like a, a guy who we really, who we respect and, and we like, um, his inability to be pigeonholed, his inability to be, uh, caught in the cage of definition, yeah. you know, cause we've always resented that, you know, being reduced to a metal band or, or whatever. It just doesn't even, I hear that and it, it doesn't even feel like it applies to me, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, or us is it, it's just, I don't know what would, but, but that's, you know, um, but he was always willing to push, push the boundaries, push his own limits and take things out somewhere else. And, uh, that final record with the, you know, the kind of filtering loops, the, bizarre 
atmospheres, the slowly morphing textures is really, uh, really fitting to, I think, a lot of what we were into at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Actually, we're always into that. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And also that that not only that that way of not accepting any boundaries and not even seeing them i think that is something that defines a lot of new rock bands it's not not an utter denial of, of of boundaries because that means that you have to be agnostic and in some way see that there are boundaries but mm, very often just simply not even not even not even accepting their existence. A very agnostic way, you know. Yeah, I um, like I like the way you put that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh the next band might be the only one where I say, okay, that is clearly this. And that is Yopes clearing the path to ascent. If there is any kind of doom, clearly doom record on that list when it's this one but on the other hand when i revisited the record for this interview i noticed that again there is also some kind of folkish storytelling through the music happening how did you feel when or what do you think about that record how did it feel when you released that on September 16th, 2014. Well, I mean, in in hindsight, so at this point in time, Yob are incredible friends of mine, and I love that band so much. They're one of the most interesting heavy bands out there. Um, and I have to say, in the whole early part of their career, I completely ignored it because if something is doom or stoner or i just think i i don't i i don't i don't even need to hear it like i've got my black sabbath records and my early saint vitus and everything else can i don't need it you know for the most part with with rare exception you know like if i hear something like burning witch or bell witch they both have the word witch in the name uh they both deserve the title doom you know because they're just so crushingly anguished and and intense you know that you know unlike unlike the 5000 you know black sabbath wannabe bands or, or you know um the ones that just don't move me you know even some of the more popular ones i i, I just don't get it you know um even being an old metalhead, it. Uh, but one day I was in Portland. I was going. Um, I forget what I was doing there. I might have been going to see uh, when Jason had first joined Sleep. Hmm. Um, I thought, shit, I'm gonna go see you know Jason, my brother and my favorite drummer. Go fucking play for Sleep. That'll be great. Um, as their old friends as well. And, um, and it was kind of their reunion time or whatever. And, um, 
Alex from Grails and I were record shopping because he still lived in Portland. And we went to Jackpot Records. And um, there was a listening station that had Yob. And I noticed that Yob was the opening band for the concert that night. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, all right, I'm going to check it out. And it was the record called The Great Cessation. Mm-hmm. And I put that record on in headphones there in public in this record store. And I was shredded. It was uh, so great. Like the the guitars were way more interesting than I would have assumed because of how people categorize them in this. Again, people unfairly pigeonhole things. And that affects the way some people perceive it, you know. And, and uh I heard way more augmented chords and things that spoke to a, maybe a mutual love of Voivod or maybe, uh, or, 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 you know, um, more interesting things. And um, the different voices that Mike has, um, the higher one of which, if somebody had described it, I might be like, Oh, I don't know, you know, but, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that takes, that takes courage to sing like that, to sing in that kind of high pitched, um, uh, voice, you know, it, it, but it is, it, again, it is very unique. I mean, it might nod to some great rock singers of the past, but it is definitely his own unique take on things definitely. and, um, makes it that much more original. And the fact that the rhythm section plays really interesting stuff, the arrangements are complex, they flow, they're more like movements than songs with just, you know, riff, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. They're they're these flowing, which of course is what we like to create. And um, so I I, I fell in love with them immediately. And I I met Mike that night and uh, bought a record. from him and we just stayed in touch and and so to be able to put out that record um was great because they were definitely like starting to become more well known and start mm-hmm. to like really crush it and uh and they still are their trajectory is going really and now you know um one of my best friends on the entire planet who was on my solo band uh with me these last two summers um and who has lived here with me for a while and uh, was on Neurosis crew for years. Dave French is now their drummer. Um, So the whole thing just feels um, right. It was the right time for us to put out a Yob record and um, for all of us involved. And it was a a very positive experience, you know, and I Mm -hmm. I feel uh, very proud of that one, you know, because a lot of times I, uh, and a lot of the records toward the end of this list is me falling back in love with a lot of heavy music, I think, you know, over the last yeah, 10 years. I saw that. I saw that. We'll come to that. Uh, I know I'm going to get shit for my pronunciation of the next one. So anyway, the next one on the list is Death Kits. Configuration do Lamento. Uh, and I know I got it wrong. October yeah, 6, the, 2017. The owl in Portuguese. Yeah, yeah that owl uh, thing. Owl. Interesting sound. Um, that is one of the most interesting bands, or that to me has been one of the most interesting bands in the last couple of years in general. Um, 
I agree. Yeah. What is more striking to you? The the noise bits or the 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 crushing guitars? What what strikes more to you? I don't think I can isolate something. It's the combination yeah. of yeah. these kind of um, the way the riffs re are repetitive. They almost yeah. sound loop loopish. Yeah. Like, like as if, as if somehow somebody tried to take a motorhead record and turn it into a ministry record. That's a perfect example. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but on top of that, like mechanical nature of the guitar riff, You've got a Brazilian ginger baker yeah. playing yeah. very yeah. human, yeah. very yeah. human yeah. heavy yeah. rhythms yeah. behind it. And that combination is incredibly unique. And, and they go off into riff land and they also go off into experimental rhythmic uh, noise land. And um, I love all of it. And and yeah. we've we've had the good fortune of playing with them in Brazil and and um also uh taking them on tour um several times um in Europe and the United States. And um mm -hmm. I just loved to watch audiences show up and see them for the first time. You know, I'd love to to go out in the crowd and watch people go, holy shit, what is going on with these guys? You know? Yeah. Um, there, there is another Brazilian band that I would like to drop in that context. Uh, although they're very different in a way, but there is something, there is something in the sound of both bands that I think is is a good way of showing Brazil's modern metal music. And that is Papangu's Holoceno. Again, I know I mispronounced it, but uh, I think that is that is also something. And that is, when I looked at your list, that struck me. Um, Nurot Recordings has never been a national label in a way. Um, yeah, you gave me ten. From the you beginning. Me, yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. You you gave me ten bands, and I looked it up. For countries that are um, basically indirectly listed are Belgium, Japan, Italy, Brazil, Hungary, the UK, and the US. Of course, the US has most of them, but uh, seven bands from seven countries. That is very, very cool. And it also shows you that it also shows me that to you the scene is not limited to one place. But sure here not. comes the question. Who gives you the insight on all of these countries? Is it just coincidental or do you really have people, for example, from Brazil who say like, Oh, you gotta listen to Def Kids? Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, um, of course we have friends all over the world you know but we also travel the world and we've mm -hmm. you know i i've been i've been to europe uh every year of my adult life you know 
um, since 1992. You know, basically, I've been to Europe every year for one reason or another. And um, also, I think if I look back to being a teenager, even before I had a car, before I had a driver's license, I was trading cassette tapes with people all over the world with weird music because back then there was no internet, uh, you know, in the early eighties to mid eighties. And, um, all we had was maximum rock and roll, a magazine and, uh, paper pens and stamps. And, um, we would find ads for other people who were interested in trading, um, you know, you couldn't find international records if you could, if you were lucky, but it wasn't like it is now, you know, you'd be lucky to find an import, uh, of like a Swedish hardcore band or, or, uh, you know, um, uh, a Belgian, uh, noise core band, you know, but, um, luckily we had some labels like alternative tentacles that would do things like, uh, put out some of those bands but but still a lot of it was you had to track it down mm-hmm. um and um things like oh like i just listened to recently um mdc millions of dead cops uh multi-death yeah. corporations they put out uh, the peace compilation mm-hmm. yeah, yeah which is one of the most incredible compilations where you had bands from all over the world you know and that opened that opened your mind up to oh there's stuff going on and and back then there was less cross pollination of sound mm-hmm. and uh, bands truly sounded unique. Polish bands sounded like Polish bands, Hungarian bands sounded like Hungarian bands, Swedish bands sounded like Swedish bands, you know, um, everybody had their own unique take. And so really it's, I guess mostly it's luck. Like finding deaf kids, for example, was um, seeing the website cult nation. Mm-hmm. Um, made a post saying uh, the best band you've never heard. And me being an eternal pessimist went bullshit. <laughs> but to prove that I was right, I clicked play on the sound file. And I listened, I was in the office right over there. And uh, I listened to that entire record two times in a row without stopping. I was blown away and, and emailed uh, the guy at cult nation said, you got to get me in contact uh, with these guys. This is incredible. You know, I think, I think it was already released on cassette only in Germany or something like that, but yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, it's um, I think it's just being a lover of music and being open-minded, you know, it happens a million different ways. The next record, and here we jump from one South American place to Western Europe. The next record on your list was Amen Ra's Mass 6, released uh, October 20th, 2017. Is this maybe the most black metalish record on New Rock? I don't sure. I don't, I'm not sure I understand modern. Um... Uh, category and terminology mm-hmm. for for me black metal is still a venom record okay um and all these types of death metal black metal mm-hmm. 
I don't understand the difference. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know what Norwegian black metal is from the stereotype, right? Um, I guess if I'm using that, if, if I try to, I would almost think that Dark Buddha Rising is more from Finland. Yeah. Is probably more so. Um, that is a very, very good question. Thinking about it, never plays fast. Amon Ra never plays fast. There's never yeah. a blast beat in Amon Ra, not one. Yeah, I know what you mean. That is not a blast beat. That is true. That is true. Um, however, I think it is also not a classical post metal band because of because of uh, the vocals. You know, um, but I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, but it, but it's a real mean. scream. Whereas I think I think the well, heavy metal the heavy metal screams are more affected monster type screams. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a difference between somebody from the diaphragm, yeah, yeah, yeah. truly screaming yeah, as yeah, loud yeah, as yeah. they can, and somebody more making a sound effect. Yeah, yeah, that is true, and that of course is the difference for example, to Dark Buddha Rising. I don't know if my friend Marco would agree with Dark Buddha Rising being black metal, but... I don't think they're black metal. I just think eh. maybe they might they might lean more that direction. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. guess, but again, I, those categories don't really mean anything to me because, yeah. I mean, they... Um, they, to me, are more like progressive dark psychedelia, if I was going to call it something, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Amon Ra uh, is more of a I don't know I don't know how to describe it it's uh... well we can agree that it's probably a very very unique band in its own approach right connecting connecting the music to their own church um, and what always strikes me about the band, and that is something that I think is similar to New Rot Records, um, they they are very much a product of their scene, yet they are never trying to be in a certain scene. Um, you know, they're, they're obviously a part of it out whole H H eight thousand hardcore scene in Belgium. Um but they they transcend that. And that is something that that is similar with Neurot. I think you know there, there are clear roots of Neurot recordings, obviously. But by now the label has transcended all of those. Let's go yeah. on to the next choice. And I find that is a very, very interesting one. Uh, Kowloon Walled City Piecework, released October 8th, 2021. It's a very interesting choice because I know that many, many people would choose one of our earlier records, maybe Grievances or so. Um, but I think I, I know why you chose Piecework um, instead of Grievances. I think, to me, Piecework is one of the best combinations of of 
a kind of folkish scarcity and heavy post metal. How did you react when you first heard that record before oh, releasing it? Of course, blown away. Yeah, blown away. I wouldn't call it folkish. I would call it uh, an exercise in restraint. Yeah, that is a very good like, point. Yeah, like like it's it's because there's no there's no strumming guitars. There's no mm -hmm. uh, folk melodies. There is incredibly interesting guitar interplay with uh, going back and forth constantly between harmony and dissonance but uh you know relying a lot on the on the lower gain tones the the slower beats the leaving a lot of air a lot of room to breathe between hits and then only coming in to crush when it's really required mm. you know and and just again and then back holding it back but barely it just feels like it's barely held back like it, it's about to break down and cry or scream you know and and then when it when it unleashes it does so and um you know scott evans has just has become a really good friend over the years it's been really a pleasure to work with him i love the sound of his recordings i love the attention to detail and the care in which he puts in to overseeing everything with the group and how much they care about, about how their stuff is represented. You know, it's, it speaks very, uh, it speaks in a way that resonates very much where mm -hmm. I, I feel like I come from, you know, and, and just not wanting to be mis misrepresented or not wanting to play any fucking games out there that don't mm -hmm. have anything to do with uh, the true spirit of the music. That is true. There, there is, there is no hidden agenda with Kowloon Walt City. The next one was one of the first opening bands for Neurosis that I ever saw. Not the first or second, but one of the earlier ones out of all my Neurosis concerts. Um, and that is Ufo Mammut's Fenice which you released last year, May 6, 2022. Um, that is one of the most long, or that is one of the most long-standing new rock bands, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Maybe the most. Is that now already some kind of family? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean... Um... You know, I wish we lived closer and could see each other more often. That's, that's a band that we kind of got to know slowly over time. You know, first, actually, as the illustrators, um, as they were doing posters for us and for and for Roadburn. And and then we took them on tour and started really, oh, they're the same. This art collective and this band are the same people. And they're, they're doing some really interesting, unique stuff. And. And uh, then we decided to work together on on some records, and uh, it's been a while now. And um, and yeah, I, I love working with them. I, I they keep getting better and better. Yeah. I think they keep really um, transcending the labels that people would put on them. You know, yeah. uh, I, I think when when we first came across them, people would be quick to put them in the uh, 
kind of like when Roadburn Festival first started. It started as kind of a stoner rock psychedelic festival, but it quickly branched out and to just being an open-minded, you know, music festival. Um, And I think, uh, you know, they definitely, while they could have fit back in the day in that kind of limitations, they've definitely blown those doors wide open. They've, they've, um, you know, of course, coming from a group that used to use projections, their use of projections and visuals, their use of um, technology to their advantage, you know, in a very human way um, with samples and, and uh, extra textures and psychedelia. And uh, and just their records are getting more and more different. They have such great tones. They're really um, into crafting these aggressive guitar tones that are wonderful and and uh changing it up you know they have they have a really unique vision that that keeps evolving and i can't wait to see what's coming next that's true what also connects ufu mammoth to the last band on your list is the fact that both bands have been interviewed here on the veil of sound channel so if Anybody wants to know a little bit more about Fenici or about the next record, check out our archives. The next band, last band, is also one of the most recent releases on Nurot. And it's Great Faults, Objects Without Pain, uh, which, by the way, was a very, very nice and perfect birthday gift for me this year when it came out on September 15th, 2023. <laughs> and is that maybe one of the great follow-ups at the moment to bands like Unsane? Because that's what I hear a lot in there. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't make that connection. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't... Uh... Honestly, all I heard when when uh, Scott Evans, who recorded it from Kowloon, he's the one that put that in my hands. But I was paying attention to them on their previous release as well because Scott had posted about recording it, and I I checked it out because I like hearing what Scott does in the mm-hmm. studio, and uh, I really liked their last recording. Um, but this one was just kind of off unhinged i guess is what i would call it 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 just really really pushes out there in all these different directions and goes um really full anguish you know it, it's really uh relentless um it's almost too much to listen to at times mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. which is a good sign you know yeah, very often right definitely periods in 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 uh our musical career where we wanted to make it entirely too much. <laughs> and, um, and, um, yeah, it's almost listener abusive. You know, it's like there's listener friendly records and there's listener unfriendly records. It's definitely unfriendly, but in yeah. a way that those of us, that those of us who like that type of music, yeah. it just, it just does it, you know, it just really does it. And, uh, I was really uh, blown away by the 
Yeah, it's uh, all the compositions and the aggression and the emotion. Yeah, it's also listener unfriendly when you follow the story of it, right? It's a very, very dark story um, behind those lyrics. Um, so, Steve, first of all, thanks for those 10 records. Uh, we could have spoken about many, many more. Um, as I said, you know, there is no oxbow, there is no red sparrows made out of babies, current 93, Isis, you name them, which also shows the amazing quality of the Neurot backlog. But one question is, how hard was it for you to choose those 10 records? It, it took a minute because I, I, um, I felt guilty. Well, and initially when I was communicating um, uh, with Rosie about doing this, uh, they said um, five. You don't want to mm. choose five yeah. records. And yeah. I'm like, That's what I, can't. I, I, I can't choose five. There's no way. There's yeah. no way I could choose five records from from this catalog and have it representative of the depth of sound. And, and yeah. I knew right away I wouldn't do any Neurosis records or Tribes of Neurot records or any records yeah, that yeah. I've been a part of, you know. Yeah. Or also any other one in Neurosis. That, that was a very good thing, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I, I was just going to make it about you know other people that we've worked with and so it felt important to to bring in kind of the combination of the early ones you know the the heroes uh to bring in the friends to bring in the uh new blood um and to bring in some of some outliers Mm -hmm. you know um that uh represent the the different some of the different directions that mm-hmm. we go in our musical interest. Just a few more questions before I leave you for the night. Uh, is is there any way that you have an idea of which record is Neurot's best-selling record? Or is that too difficult? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously the neurosis records. Yeah. Probably. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it. we put out strange music. And it's hard to That's sell true. strange music. And, uh, yeah. you know, like, like uh, this record label is definitely a, a labor of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody earns, you know, except for... Um, you know, the people we hire to work on it, mm-hmm. um, you know, nobody, there's not, not any profit split for us as the owners, you know, mm. uh, it all just goes back into having a, a, a record label. It's a lot of work. And a lot of times I'd rather be in this room than in that room, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but ever since I was a teenager, I wanted a punk rock record label. So be careful what you wish for. Um, well, none but, of the two uh, of us ever wanted in our teenage years, I guess none of us wanted to be a teacher, right? No, definitely not. Yeah. And <laughs> and to think that to think that, that seemed like good money was that I should tell you something else. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wait, I get paid to do this? Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'd say our stuff is pretty solidly underground. I mean, the Yob record did well, continues to do well. Um, as far as, like, you know, bigger stuff. But, uh, I, but yeah, I mean, it's clearly the Neurosis catalog, which... Yeah. Um, keeps it all moving. Is there a band that you would like to work with? Where you say like, ah, it hasn't happened yet, but if I could. For Rolling Stones. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix. Um, off the top of my head, no, but I'm sure there are. I'm sure if I was you know, thinking about it. I mean, you know, I love music. There's a lot of great bands out there. As much That's as I true. dislike most music, there's there's great stuff happening. It's also interesting that you have now released um, two more records this year that I like, uh, that I like a lot and that are very different in a way. Um, you've released False Fat. Is that your own one? Is that another homage of yours to your crust punk roots? Uh, that's more like working with friends. That That's okay. kind of like, you know, I mean, that's definitely a different record because it's not a crust punk record. It's, you know, it's something more, um, I don't know, like like what you heard in a lot of Stig's work with Amoebix, you always heard a little bit of Killing Joke in there or some post-punk influence, you know, some older stuff, and he's an older guy, you know? So, And Roy, we've known since uh, we were first touring the East Coast and played with Nausea and stayed with them. And, and uh, you know, obviously we've been fans of Discharge since before we had a band, but... Um, JJ being a younger member, uh, we met him when Discharge and Subhumans played our 30th anniversary in London. Um, and so it was really just kind of staying in touch and, and JJ approached us. Um, actually, I think Igor Cavalera might have sent us his way, our way, because uh, we were putting out the Pet Brick yeah. uh, record. And um, he thought we would be a good home home for that and so uh yeah, it just made sense i mean amoebics discharge nausea um who could yeah. say no who could say no um and, and you the x everything record is the second one yeah we just did yes that's yeah. exactly what i wanted to talk about uh that is a record that just simply blew me away um because again, not trying to to pigeonhole a band, but the way that they, for me at least, combine Unsane and Kowloon Walled City into their very, very own version of hardcore, that's amazing. You know, it's... did you approach them? Did they approach you? I, I think, again, that was Scott. Um, Scott saying, hey, John's got a band. I just recorded it. It's great. It is. So it's actually because of Scott that we've got Great Falls and X Everything. Um, so I guess uh, Scott's our eyes and ears and A&R man down in Oakland, California. 
Yeah, um, so send him a lot of respect. He has a good year. Yeah, but um, yeah, that record I was really surprised. John's because I'm used to the guitar work in in Kowloon-Walled City, and to hear uh, like we talked about piece work being restraint. Yeah. There is zero restraint uh, yeah. from the guitar point of view in X. Everything, in fact, it's like guitar heroics. It's it's just completely fucking bonkers, yeah. um, with with a real intensity and you know the rhythm section to glue it all together and the vocals to send it over the top. It's it's a really intense and and great record, you know. It is. Is that you've already mentioned that indirect? Are are these bands? Also, some kind of revitalization for Neurot? Uh, not that for net. That, that's, that's, that's assuming that we've ever been unvital. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, but I, not <laughs> assuming that you've that your that the label was ever dead. But you know, those are two new bands that fit perfectly and at the same time are very unexpected in a way. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I, I I feel like it's just it's a continuation. It's definitely an exciting time, and to have all these, to have uh, the Grails reissue, the Great Falls record, the False Fed record, and the X Everything record all happening at the same time uh, is definitely like an intense kind of crazy period. You know, hmm. definitely like a lot to do all at once. Um, hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, mean, I guess in a way, all that stuff happening at the same time makes it feel like, okay, yeah, we are we are in it. Because, you know, sometimes you go six months without putting something out or you have a slow year and it's, you know, sometimes you need a slow year to catch yeah. up and sell some records instead of manufacturing records all the time. But Yeah, and also, I guess, you know, when you have your own musical endeavors and projects you know but also takes a lot of a lot of time therefore that is also the last question that i will ask you and before anybody complains why we do not have um a, a quick fire round this time first of all steve and i already had one in uh, in august i think july july august something like that um so if you want to hear a quick fire uh, quick fire round with Steve Fontel. Just visit the old interview. And second of all, it's uh, six thirteen over here, and I gotta get ready for school. Steve's gotta go to sleep in a few hours. So my last question: Can we expect, or when maybe, can we expect new music from Steve Fontel in any form of incarnation? Um, I have. Some Harvest Man. I have a Harvest Man uh, triptych, three LPs. Ooh. Um, the first two are done. I'm just waiting. Uh, I just got the master, waiting for finished artwork. The second one, the audio is done. I need to get it mastered and get the artwork. And the third one, I'm finishing. Uh, and I don't have an exact time frame for that, but I would like to get all three of those out next year, spaced out. So three, three LPs, uh, related, uh, Harvest Man LPs, and um, 
Uh, actually, before we got on Zoom, I was going through uh, my songs for the next solo record. So, um, yeah, there's things in motion. Steve, thanks for all your time. Thanks for doing this so late in the evening. And uh, it was a pleasure as always. So thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and thank you, man. Thanks for your time. And thanks for getting up early so I didn't have to for a change. <laughs> yeah, once in a while, right? So enjoy the rest of your day. Talk soon. All right. Bye have bye. a good day at school. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow.